Hey, everybody, I found a great review. I love this. Absolutely amazing. Exclamation point five stars from B. Voss. The whole series has been great, but episode eight on sensuality, sexuality, and deconstruction was absolutely amazing. I sat and thought about so much of it for hours after. I'm going to have to go listen to that one. I know. I was like, what was on episode eight? (laughs) You guys, we so appreciate it when you leave reviews specifically and rate the show. It really helps other people to discover this content. Thanks so much. One of the things that I haven't shared with you guys, Steve actually got to witness this, but my husband, every time he listens to an episode, he cries. Yeah. Hmm. That's beautiful. He just cries. You know why? I mean, I'm guessing. <laughs> is that? <laughs> Tell me why. That's I'm like all of a sudden. You know? I think I do. Oh. I think it's because he knows how long you've dreamt yeah. this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's basking in your dream being a reality in the yeah. same way that you were emotional, however many yeah. minutes ago. Like he's seen you mm-hmm. live your purpose, and I just mm-hmm. know how much he loves yeah. you. And it's probably such a gift. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's probably a gift because he doesn't have to be the only one having these conversations with me. <laughs> He's like, I'm so sorry about that. Tears of relief. Yes, tears of relief. From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your host, Becky Patton, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Latifa Alatas. One of the things that I felt like, Latifa, you even said this, which I think is really, really important. There were so many times when you thought, we're not like going fast enough. We need to go yeah. faster. And one of the things that I wrestle with so often is how do we move at a pace mm. that allows for people to unfold and practice sitting in something you were talking about in the introduction, you went back home like on this high and you did these for a little while and then you felt like you fell away from it. Mm -hmm. But I want to say it's every time you go and do that and you do it, you gain a little more ground. And so part of this is I think that in this conversation, one of the things that's really important is that we don't try and speed ahead too fast Mm -hmm. because what happens is we skip over some of the process of learning how to grasp a little bit come back, grasp a little bit, come back. Because there's so much depth and there's a lot of breadth Mm -hmm. that we have to explore together. So one of the things that last season, I just kept holding my tongue. Oh, that's really about, that topic is desire. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about desire. And one of the things that purity movement, religion, theology, whatever has really done is tried to clamp down desire Mm. because desire feels like the danger zone of how we get ourselves into trouble. Wow. And yeah, it does. That's amazing. That's a really beautiful articulation. That's exactly what it feels like to me. Even that it? word. Yeah. It's just oh, like, it's so sad. Well, and I think part of it is because we haven't learned a language of how to recognize that desire is something that is a part of all of us from the very beginning of time. It's part of how we connected to survival of life. A little baby comes and they're hungry and they're desirous of comfort, but comfort equals food and food comes as comfort. So there's this element of desire is a part of being human. And one of the things that I 
think is important for us to talk about. And so I'm, I'm going to read this little excerpt here that I want to read, and then I want us all to respond to it, okay? Because so often when we think of desire, we think in a like a dirty tone or it's dangerous, so it's going to lead us down this road and we can't trust it. But I want to say inside of all of us is this deep capacity to trust desire. Mm-hmm. And desire isn't the enemy Desire is kind of, I see it a lot of times as a portal, and I'll use that word probably a lot this season because I love that word. I love that word with you. (laughs) One of the things that I realize is our first sexual experiences are sculpted into our body through ways in which we encountered desire. So my question is, if you had to name one of your first sexual experiences, what would you label that at or so what would you name that as? The actual experience or Well, you don't have ad- to give adjectives. details. I mean, you can give enough context. Was it were you fifteen? Were you seven? Were you I mean, just name your first engagement with sexual experience. I was attracted to a guy in my kindergarten class. We mm-hmm. played micro machines together. He would come over and I really wanted micro machines because I knew he liked them. And so I decided I liked them. Mm-hmm. Turns out I did. But um, <laughs> how could you not? I know. So. I had the whole gas station, Phillips station, you know. I don't even know what a micro It's I've a tiny little that. car. The whole point yeah. is that he used to come over, we used to play with micro machines. And okay. I just, I wanted him to be my boyfriend with no understanding of what boyfriend was, but I wanted to be around him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hold his hand. We didn't, but I just, I wanted to be close with him. I didn't mm-hmm. know why. So there was desire. It was my first crush. Your first crush, yeah. So, I mean, kindergarten is six, five, I mean, mm-hmm. around that age. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can remember it. Oh, viscerally. Okay. So, as you remember it, can you, what, like, what do you experience in your body? Butterflies in my stomach, nervous energy, things coming out of my mouth that I didn't know, like, <laughs> how did that come out of my mouth? Like, yeah. Why did okay. I say that? Like, okay. I, like no control over it. Like, no. you know, and then you're like embarrassingly trying to figure out as a six year old how to, recover mm-hmm. that's why you're so articulate now is that you've you've been refining that for <laughs> a long time years, yeah. many years yeah. a lot of laughing mm-hmm. giggling mm-hmm. yeah the nervous energy is i think what i remember the most the okay. excited nervous energy and like the anticipation of getting to hang out and play micro machines and the grief when he left can we just say play micro machines is a euphemism from now on <laughs> oh, yeah. that's cut co- you want to play micro machines <laughs> Can we move to our micro machines sooner <laughs> uh, tonight? About what time do you think we might be playing micro, micro machines? machines. <laughs> you know, I think I have two memories. One is I had a very early crush with a girl in my class, probably first grade, but but I remember and I this went on. I mean, for you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, and I remember the first day of summer vacation after third grade. I was in my backyard in Oxnard, California. And I felt such a deep ache that I would miss her, like over the oh, summer months, yeah. you know. Now I'm third grade, yeah. but I felt like, oh, this ache that I, what will I do? Because I won't see her for three months, you know. So as I think back, I go, whoa, like that's a part of my sensitive nature, you know. Like now it doesn't surprise me that I felt that deeply in that way and that soon because that's just who I am. I feel I'm very sensual and sensitive. But then the second story is seventh grade. This is 1983. And this is like a junior high dance in someone's basement. And there is a makeout room. No, there is a makeout room. And 
I was seeing air quotes this girl named Jen, redhead, classic, and cute, you know. And I don't know if she asked me or I asked her, but man, we wandered into that makeout room. And I seventh grade, I had never done a mouth on mouth kiss, you know. But apparently, she had because when we went for it, I was not thinking French kiss, but she was, Mm. and. I was immediately like, oh, but delighted. Like yeah. that was, that was, yes. I mean, I responded immediately in every way that you can imagine. And I liked that. And that's about all it was. It was like a pretty short kiss. Mm. And again, surrounded by other couples that are sitting on couches kissing. So while Latifah um, had unexpected things coming out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah. I had unexpected things. things going into, into your mouth. mouth. That was a good tie But it was, was like, I just, like, all my senses were just whoop, heightened. Yeah. I mean, I had never. So that was, mm. I, like, that was my first sexual experience with someone else. You know, of course, there's a you know, touching myself when I'm young. You know, that's yeah. a different whole conversation for sure that would be interesting to have. But that was, and my bodily experience then and now, even as I think about it, is like, yes, <laughs> more of that, please. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Can I share one more that I think might be interesting? We're not limited. Yeah, yet. yeah go I, in sixth grade, made a female best friend who was just, we had so much fun together. It was like, we didn't even need to know what we're doing the next weekend because we'd always be hanging out. Mm-hmm. Just that consistent best friend. We always sleep in the same bed. And I remember having a dream about her one night where we made out. Mm-hmm. And this is before I even actually had the makeout experience. So it's what you see on television is what's translating to your brain. And I woke up from the dream and felt so much shame Ooh. because Aww. of what had been explained to me about sexual identity in my like religious experience growing up. And you know, I've always said that I probably like am 10% attracted to women and 90% attracted to men. But I think any female attraction I have is based in deep emotional intimacy and connection. Mm-hmm. And that translated in my dream as like a kiss and as a makeout. And I, I was so embarrassed that I remember waking up and I had to figure out how to get home very quickly. Hmm. You know, so I would like mm-hmm. call my mom and ask her to come pick me up earlier than normal. And we stayed friends and that was it. You know what I mean? But in the friendship kind of naturally closed off after high school or into mm-hmm. high school. I just, uh, that was my first, I think maybe like exploration of sexual attraction spectrum mm-hmm. in my life. And it was, came as a surprise because it came in a dream. Mm-hmm. And in the dream, I remember feeling awesome. And then I woke up and I felt awful. Mm-hmm. I just thought that might be an interesting addition yeah, to that is interesting. desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Desire. You know? mm-hmm. Hmm. It's funny, the thing that's coming to mind now that I would have never imagined I would have an actual conversation about my life was preschool. Up until kindergarten, I lived in Shreveport, Louisiana, and I went to preschool at this place called the Little Red Schoolhouse. It was literally a little oh red schoolhouse goodness. in the yard of the big elementary school where my brother went. And oh. it's, you know, And there was a girl who I remember having a crush on then, and I remember very little of my childhood. Like I just have a horrible memory, but I do remember... There being a moment where the teacher told some boy, stop looking up her dress. And maybe even saying to the class, like, don't look up little girls' dresses or something. But it was in Mm -hmm. reference to this one girl. And I just remember being so curious about like, well, why would you look up someone's dress? And then I and then I was suddenly like, Well, I gotta see what's up there because (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I need to know why I'm not supposed to do that. It created this mystery for me Mm -hmm. that you know, coupled with sort of my wiring or or maybe my upbringing or something of always wanting to be a good boy. I talk about this in season one. 
where it was just like, well, don't, whatever you do, don't just, it has to stay a mystery because I'm not supposed to do that. Yeah. But I, it's funny that like, that is what would come to mind for me now when you say your first sexual experience was like, don't look, yep. don't look. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've been racking my brain a little bit over here because I wasn't going back that far. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's all right. But I kind of have two stories. and they're, So I grew up on a dairy farm. So it gives you like just a different experience of reproduction in general. And I remember I must have asked my mom like where babies come from. And I think too I had like a younger brother. But part of what I'm thinking about is like my mom is someone who engaged in those conversations with me like very well. And so I just remember her sitting down with me, I think this was in kindergarten, and explaining like where babies came from. And we had like this book and it was like, Family Guy is like the way that, <laughs> <laughs> the way that like wow. illustrations look. But she just really did a beautiful job walking through that with me. And she tells a story that I say to her, like I turned to her and I said, like, you and dad did that three times. Yes. You know, that whole classic yeah. line or whatever. Because that's all we expect all, our parents yeah. to do. Right. Right. Because there's yeah. three of us. So obviously uh-huh. that's it. And I remember then I went to school the next day and I told this, my friend, where babies came from. So my mom got a call from mm-hmm. this friend's mom and that whole thing. But I feel grateful for the fact that like along the way, she was always open to those conversations. And that's just one of the things that came to mind. But the other thing was actually in high school, like my one boyfriend that I dated that was from youth group, so it was okay. But having a Jean Jam experience. Oh, it's on. Keep your jeans on. Jean Jam. Keep them on. Keep your jeans on for Jean Jam. Jean Jam. In the living room. Everybody's asleep, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that's the first time I experienced an orgasm. Mm. And... It wasn't until like years later mm-hmm. that I didn't even knew what that was, like yeah. what that experience was. And so when you asked that a question, that was the first thing that came to mind was just, I can still picture that moment. And it wasn't confusing. It was fine. It was sweet. But I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, like, I think about sex ed and especially for women, mm-hmm. for young girls, you're not talking about orgasm and what that feels like. You're talking about menstruation. menstruation and is also nice, not getting pregnant. And right. not getting pregnant. Yes. That's the main thing. Yeah. So yeah. even how to like name connecting desire to the physical, there was no language for that or mm-hmm. especially, yeah, in youth group or whatever. So it was memorable, but wasn't negative or positive or, mm-hmm. yeah. But they all had, all the instances all have desire. Mm-hmm. We can all identify that, right? Mm-hmm. So that's actually when we, in every single one of those you shared, we are of age and we can actually name that and we can be in connection with that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I just want to read you something now and then I want to have your reaction. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. A few years ago, this fragment actually circulated amongst various sex therapists and we don't know the author and we don't know the source. So I'm going to put that caveat out there first. You're reading this I'm out, reading out of what book? I'm reading it out of Love Worth Making, How to Have Ridiculous Great Sex in a Long-Lasting Relationship by Steven Snyder. That's a long title, but it's a great book. Okay, so it was a hot and humid August day, and they had been perspiring. Now it was dusk. The apartment was empty, save for the two of them. As they lay in a warm embrace, this room, this bed, was the universe. Aside from the faint sounds of their tranquil breathing, they were silent. She stroked the nape of his neck. He nuzzled her erect nipple, first gently with his nose, and then he licked it, tasted, smelled, and absorbed her scent. 
He pressed his body close to hers, sighed, and fully spent. Closed his eyes and soon fell into a deep, satisfying sleep. Ever so slowly, she slipped herself out from under him, lest she disturb him. Cradled him in her arms and moved him to his crib. That was like M. Night Shyamalan esque mm-hmm. twist there at the end. So, <laughs> for me, at least, this surprised me at the end. I was like having a whole different experience until the end. Totally. Okay. You were. You were having a different experience. Yeah. And all I'm trying to highlight there is that we've all experienced desire first that's related to survival. First, that's related to just, we don't see it as survival. We see it as comfort. It's in all of us. It's already there. So when I'm talking about desire, I'm talking about desire as a good thing that actually can bring us comfort when we actually can engage with it, with knowing it has an original source of utter goodness gives us life. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious your response to that. My initial response was like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I was like, "All right, Becky, we're doing it. We're getting there. I don't have to be impatient anymore." <laughs> that was my inner yeah. monologue. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is not an unknown author. That's Fifty Shades of Grey." <laughs> <Yes. laughs> it's a very famous concerned. book, Becky. <laughs> I was very concerned for Luke. <laughs> I also also tuned into that. As I well. chose not to look at you either. Luke yeah, in the midst the, of it. What's the with the prolact whatever what it's Prolactin. called? Prolactin. Yeah. That's what it yeah. was because yeah. it was for sure like radiating. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> you know, I think at first I was like, "Ooh, okay, yeah, this is desire," and and then I had another thought of like, "Okay, this is a man and a woman like on a afternoon like engaging in intimacy, afternoon delight." That's mm-hmm. right. And then it flipped, mm-hmm. and I think I felt shock and laughter, and that makes so much sense. I, it's like you even told me what you were going to do before you did it, and I somehow forgot because I got so caught up in the experience, <gasps> and then you did it. You said at the beginning of this conversation, it starts as an infant, hmm. and that is amazing that I forgot. You told me what you were going to do. Mm-hmm. And then you did it. Somehow I totally lost track of it in the center because I was like, oh, nipples and caressing and it's all happening. Nape of the neck. Nape of the neck. Yeah. Humid, hot, perspiring day. (laughs) (laughs) Luke, Luke, wake up. Wake up. I'm I'm doing my best. But I love it because it, oh, it's just everybody starts there. Mm Mm-hmm. We all have that in common. And not all of us were breastfed. I want to say that's actually really true. But there is that sense of, you know, bringing a child in and that eight inches from gaze to baby's gaze. There's something about that that is everything that's embodied in us of goodness is already there. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm, can we tap back into that and remember, return to something? You said something in one show, Steve, you were talking about sanctification and your explanation of it was like, so it just kind of blew me away. Sacrament? Sacrament, sacrament, sacrament. That's what it was. Yeah. And there's this element of to remember something is to re-enter into something. And that's where I'm, when we're having this conversation, and I think we have to recognize there's something sacred in all of us that is already there. It's gotten covered up by shame. 
It's gotten covered up by different things. But at the core, desire isn't the enemy. Yeah, that's not. And I feel like I grew up with a theology that was teaching me that my desires were innately bad and that I had to shed my desires and just then ask God for God's desires. Or if I were to get married, that my desires need to become my husband's desires. If we want to get even more specific, there was never room or place for my desires to be good and to be seen into fruition. And, oh, that's so tragic because that's not what I know now, but it's how I lived a portion of my life or that my desire needed to be segmented into like, well, that part of desire is good and that part of desire is bad. So like my desire to be good or righteous or any of those things, I need to fuel that fire or fan that flame. But my desire for, you know, to be successful female artist or mm -hmm. to do the job or to desire someone intimately, I needed to quelch that or quench that. Is that the word? think so, but I like quelch. <laughs> I like quelch. Better. It's like quell and quench together. Yes, it yeah. is. Quelch. Yeah. I was in a band called Quelch uh, in Sounds junior high. It was a, it was punk. Yeah. I was like, it has to be like screamo. I was like, something. I can't yeah. tell if you're joking or serious. <laughs> that was your band? That's just yeah. any time a good. I just think how many people up. have been managing not having their desires in order to do what they think is correct. And mm -hmm. I have found in my personal life that the more I really tune into my deep desire and hear it and listen and respond to it, the more peaceful my life is. It's funny because as I sit here and you said you want to hear our response, and at first I didn't know how to answer that, but it actually is shame is what I felt at the end of that story because when the twist happens, I think somewhere in me there's this like, oh, my God, I'm thinking of the wrong thing. Like, I'm not innocent because that's not where my brain went first. Mm. There's something in me that's like, oh, God, what's wrong with me that I would be imagining other things, you know. So shame is still a, an instinct, I think. Yeah. For me. Yeah. I would have to say similar experience because I was surprised at just what was coming up in my body as you were first describing it and mm -hmm. just going to to my own experiences and then it was like Phew! that change. And I think too with me being pregnant and this is something that I'm like wrestling through personally because I do want to nurse but also like to give up my body in that way and to have had certain experiences with my body of pleasure mm -hmm. and how honestly some fears about what is that, how will that change mm -hmm. and how will I feel about having a little person? And it's just, it's a complex mm -hmm. thing. And then I mentioned earlier, like growing up in a dairy farm, there's a whole weird, well, the udder. right. And there's just some interesting like utilitarianness to mm -hmm. that part that it's like, I don't want to, I want to still feel connected to it. So it, it was like a whiplash moment, I guess would be mm. the best way yeah. I would describe it because I was so in this very intimate place and then mm. experience I know connecting to an experience that I feel like I don't know yet because mm. I can't remember my own experience of being breastfed, you know? So but what if your body does remember? Mm. I was, I'm told I was only breastfed for, you know, a very short amount of time, a week or two. This was the seven, 1970. And there was some weird stuff back then around, mm you shouldn't breastfeed. It's not healthy or something like that, I think. Or maybe I had a hard time latching or whatever. But my feeling when I heard that and then heard you talking about, you didn't use the word attunement yet, but it's like that's a moment of attunement where the mother is attuned to her child. And I had a sense of ache or sadness oh. that like, I don't know. So long. I mean, it's, you know, as an infant, you don't, I don't have memories, but like, my sense is 
I was not attuned to well. And so I feel sad when I hear that. Mm-hmm. And so it's like mm-hmm. to remember, oof, can I remember something that I'm sure happened on some levels, you know, mm-hmm. on some levels, but I don't think that it was enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You saying that makes me wonder if like so many men tend to be obsessed with breasts mm-hmm. and if that's tied to the attunement or the lack thereof, if that is at the root of that desire for people who are attracted to the female figure, you know, Becky and I have a mutual friend that he has a theory on that, that that is actually what that's about, even as it relates to pornography, but like specifically a focus on the breasts and being very attractive is more of a sign of what was missing Mm. and now and then. Well, and to also, I love breasts. I do too. I like mm-hmm. to touch my own breast. I find it comforting. I like when I hug my female friends who are taller than me and I nuzzle into their bosom, I feel so comforted. Mm-hmm. Like I think breasts are beautiful. As an artist who did figure drawing, I prefer the female form. So I don't think it's just men as far as the obsession or maybe it's not so much obsession as it is desire for whatever the breast is representing or offering. Mm-hmm. You know, can I do a nerdy 30? Yeah. You know, in the Hebrew scriptures, there's all these different names for God, you know, Elohim. And well, there's a name El Shaddai made popular by the ever present Amy Grant. She's singing. But I'm not paying royalties on that. So. The, okay, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all we said. That's it. 14 seconds is all you get. <laughs> maybe maybe we can invite her to sing it. Oh. Okay. The, meaning of, friend. the meaning of Shaddai or El Shaddai is the double-breasted one. Oh, so like one of God's that. names is the double-breasted one. I've heard multi-breasted. Which multi-breasted. Just, sure, that's even bigger. Yeah, right, I mean, but just that like bigger. idea of so much. <laughs> Sorry. They're even bigger. Sorry, I didn't mean that. They're even bigger. It's even more expansive. Yeah, so there more, we go. That's a good Sure, yeah. whatever you want to call it. But just thinking about, because as we just started talking about, this came to me too, mm-hmm. is just like the nourishing part of God. And that was a huge healing yes. part for myself was just starting to shift from the strong masculine warrior God yep. to this like nourishing. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think I'm hearing too as we're talking about this is this just wrestling that out too of like, Wanting to be nourished and comforted. Yeah. And where it's do we find na- that? But that's a natural yeah. part of being human, yeah. is what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. 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 A couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago, we had unseasonably beautiful weather in Houston. And so my wife and I took our dogs. I drive a Jeep. And since COVID started, I've not put the doors on or the top up because I just don't really go anywhere. So it's just like, I love it. So when it's nice, we go driving around. We went for a drive around the neighborhood and we passed by this mom and son on bikes and they were stopped. The bikes were on the ground. The boy is just crying. Oh. You know, he's probably 10, 12. And it's funny, this is all happening. Like in the field right next to him, there's all of these boys playing football. And here he is holding his mom and being sort of nuzzled in her breasts, mm-hmm. crying. I mean, just, you know, very, very mm-hmm. embarrassed or whatever of what just happened. And my wife made a comment about, man, that she was just like, that's, I remember that feeling. There's something mm-hmm. about that feeling of being hugged mm-hmm. in that way with your head right there, sort of nuzzled in your mom's mm-hmm. bosom. And I was like, yeah, there is something about that feeling that That's like, so I remember that. Mm-hmm. I remember the comfort of that. And it's unlike any other comfort. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting how that ties into desire. I mean, that these are not the metaphors or the 
images that come to mind for me when I hear the word desire. Yeah. But what if those are images that we're all carrying, but we don't have, I mean, Steve, I was not breastfed. Mm -hmm. I didn't even see my mom for the first week of my life. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wasn't breastfed is because the doctors all said, well, that's not as healthy as we need to get formula in your, and I refused formula. I know, I know. I kind of refused formula and I went straight to cow's milk, which is like, not okay. That's not okay. It's not healthy. There's all kinds of things that happen. And I've, I've had to work through a lot of digestive issues. But one of the things that I realized is in this, as I started to do research around desire and I started doing it, I recognized that even though I wasn't necessarily attuned to, it didn't take away my need right. and my desire. And I got fed. I did get fed. Obviously, I'm an, a grown adult. I got fed, but I got fed in a different way. And I learned how to lean against a breast, not go to a breast. Hmm. And I wonder, and that's, this is just me and this is my experience, I'm just saying, but I've, as I've contemplated and wondered and played with this, I've wondered if that was part of me not even connecting with my own female body mm-hmm. in a way and keeping it separate because I've always kind of been identified as, and both of my other siblings nursed, which mm-hmm. is kind of weird in that whole element, mm-hmm. but I was born in a military hospital. So a little bit, a little bit different. I don't quite understand all of that. My mom is a little fuzzy on some of the details as she's tried to relate it to me, but the desire was still there. But one of the things I've struggled with, I really struggled to accept my own femininity, mm-hmm. my own femaleness form, mm-hmm. and all of that. And I know I shared about the hatred I had for my breast. I know that came from a lot of other things I thought, but there's this element that at the root and core of each of us is this desire and so much of it happens and gets imprinted into us before we ever have language for it or we ever have, like we don't even have memory of. Right. So I want to ask, how do you define desire? And I'd be curious just different people's. Oh, that's a great question. Because I think we all have different things that come up as we're thinking mm-hmm. about it. I've had a unique relationship with desire in the sense that I've started to give my, I mean, over the years, I've given myself permission to be in desire. And like, even like I started first, like with food, what do I really want to eat? Do I want a big juicy hamburger or do I want that salad? You know, normally I want that big juicy hamburger with the French fries. And the truth is, is that's not a bad desire, but I can't, there is something that will come as a result of that. So I think that there's been a process for me and what I would list my, I've never, I haven't sat down and written out a definition, but right now off the top of my head, what I would say, it's an inner longing that takes external action. Mm. Mm. I love the example you used too, because there's a body connection, mm-hmm. like an awareness to like actually being able to reflect and name what is it that's coming up? Like, what is that Mm -hmm. inner longing? Like, can I see and hear and Mm -hmm. what is under the surface? And then be courageous enough to bring that forward, whether it's the salad or the burger, or it's like something much bigger and wanting relationship, you know, like some things Mm -hmm. that feel way more vulnerable. Right. You know, but I think it's, there is a personal attunement you need to do to even know what those are. And I think oftentimes the church wants to tell us what they're supposed to be. Well, because to your verse, I know what you were quoting is Psalms 30. So I don't remember the address, but where it's giving, <laughs> I always struggle <laughs> with the addresses of these, but I've, I've let go of all of it. So. Yeah. But it's that we're supposed to have God's desires. Yeah. 
I can't remember the verse now, but anyway, but give me, it'll, God will give me the desires of my, my own heart. heart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. What we interpret that to mean is that therefore we have to stuff away, put yes. away and just become a blank slate and God puts, I mean, that's how I've always right. seen that God puts something in there. And when I really studied that verse, that's not at all what it means. Mm. And it really means is can I be still long enough to recognize and engage with a God so I can see what my desires are? And God's desire for me. Well, that's good. It makes me think too about like one of Jesus's most common questions is like, what is it you want? What is it you desire? Like, oh, we're, yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. and I think it's so fascinating because it's just like, can you even name what it is that you're looking for? Yeah. Mm. And I remember thinking like, I don't, but I think it's a personal being aware of your own personal needs. Mm. And I think so often we're, substituting it for things we think are better or what we're told it's supposed to be or whatever. So can we actually name mm-hmm. those things are? So. You know, what's interesting is one of my desires is to be desired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's something that like rom-coms or romantic novels or whatever, they kind of stoke the longing you have to be desired, which would be the act of somebody else mm-hmm. like communicating their longing for you in physical form, I guess to go, mm-hmm. go with your working definition. And I've had that conversations with people in my past of like, just, oh, I just want to feel desired by you or I want to, and you just, it's unmistakable when it's happening, Mm -hmm. you know, and it feels so good. And it's part of it involves being present with somebody. It doesn't always involve sexual touch, but a lot of times it does, you know, and I just, I have desires for lots of things, but one of my actual core desires is to be desired. Mm -hmm. Even as you're saying that, it's just like, can we hold that? I mean, that it's like, that's a cool desire. Yeah. Instead of place judgment on it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's communion with somebody mm-hmm. else. Like it's connection, it's presence. It's not about like feeding some dragon. It's really about being like wrapped up with somebody else's soul for a period of time. And like that feels really good. You know, it's like stepping into <laughs> the fire, not to be burned, but to be warmed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think about desire as a kind of journey of curiosity, right? And so we have this, when we come awake to our longing for something missing, which is all the, Ooh. you know, all the time. But then I think we have a tendency to, ju- you know, so we have that burger or like, what if we have two burgers? And then we think, oh God, you know, that's too much. And oh, I'm a terrible person because I ate two burgers or I had too much to drink or whatever. Instead of like, what if we said, okay, well, I wanted something and I went toward that thing and maybe a little bit of it was exactly what I needed, but too much of it is not. Mm. And I'm not a terrible person for doing that. It just means I need to be now more present to when I'm in that place of longing. Mm -hmm. Is there another something that I can go to that would be satisfying in a way that, you know, cause every, the sacrament is an ordinary thing that reveals something divine, basically. Mm. And so that's even sex, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but then we always try to make a formula out of, so if we experience something explosively good mm. and that scratches the edge, that's it. That's what I was longing for. But I think way, the way we're wired up is like, we're not wired up to have that same thing be Mm -hmm. satisfying all the time. Mm -hmm. 
we keep going to that thing. And so that's why I think it's like a journey of curiosity of like, can I pay attention to that deep longing, name it for what it is, sit with it, be okay going towards something that may or may not satisfy the itch without shame and then get curious about, well, what was that experience like? I love that in the language of attunement. So like my brother-in-law will talk about this sort of idea of, so for example, like people who bite their fingernails a lot, Mm -hmm. you have the urge to do that because your body wants sodium. You need sodium. And so you go to the closest source rather than just like going and having something that puts sodium in your body. And I think of that in terms of pornography or masturbation. And so I'm saying that to like differentiate between the idea of like self-soothing or self-comfort or self-love even and feeling the desire for sex and rather than satisfying that desire in something that is truly going to satisfy that desire, turning to something else. Does that make sense? So Mm -hmm. I think of like pornography as a habit, if you can sort of be attuned to yourself and recognize that's actually a healthy desire that you're satisfying in a way that may be damaging to you, you know, or or that's not not ultimately going to satisfy anything. Or I would just go back to season one where we were talking about good yeah, is it actually Tove? Is yes. it regenerative? Is it bringing life to you? Is Can you it... recap Tove for folks who maybe came on to the show late? Tove is a theme that comes out throughout the course of season one. But if you're new here at season two, Steve, can you tell us what Tove is real quick? Sure. Tove is the Hebrew word for good. It's what we see all over the Genesis poem in Genesis one and two. And God made this and God called that good. But how we're defining it is a bit like uh, that which has the power to bring more and more life, whatever that is, mm-hmm. a conversation, a sexual experience, a moment of deep presence with each other. Whatever is Tove is something that has within it the ability to keep on growing mm-hmm. versus take away from or detract from or subtract from. Is that mm-hmm. fair? Mm-hmm. That's fair. And so part of what I'm in that as we're talking about desire. And that's one of the things that I think all of us at the core have desire in us that is good from the very beginning of our being created. And that's what I'm trying to get as we're, because I think we're going to keep unpacking this. I want to talk about masturbation. I want to talk about porn. I want to talk about decisions that we make with desire. But what I feel like what we're trying to do is go back and go, oh, at the very core of how we're created, Mm -hmm. desire is actually good Mm -hmm. And it brings both comfort and it brings sustainability. Growth, health, all of those things. All those things. Mm -hmm. But if it has that good, and that's where the word good in the original language says it's rejuvenative, it creates more life. The opposite of that, or the other end of that, is it also has the potential to not create it, which is if it doesn't create life and it's not regenerative, then desire has the potential of taking us down that road too. Mm -hmm. So that's where we have to see that it holds both. But I think what happens and it's been so focused on, and that's why I'm so, it has to be in this conversation of sexuality and spirituality is we've been taught so much that this body is this evil thing that we have to conquer. Mm -hmm. And it's actually not, Mm -hmm. it's not an evil thing. It actually is filled with these beautiful desires. And I can't tell you how many people I have the conversation with is, well, my sexual desire is more than my spouses or my partner's sexual desire. And I'm like, yeah, of course, everybody has a different sexual desire. Mm -hmm. There is no one level of sexual desire. And the goal isn't like, oh, got to get everybody up to the higher or settle and go to the lower. Mm -hmm. It's to find the ways in which to meet one another 
in that center point that isn't about just one person. It's about both of us coming together. Mm -hmm. And that to me is when we actually, we don't, I think we spend so much time in Christian circles. What I've heard is trying to suppress something that is actually very natural, or Mm -hmm. we feel shame for something that's very natural. And I'm like, the desire isn't the enemy. Yeah. I was going to ask, like specifically when I think about desire and because it's fun parts and it's, we're talking about sex, Mm -hmm. like some of the things I think of are different libidos, different Mm -hmm. different libido rates like with with partners and communicating through that. There are partners who feel shame for wanting sex too much and partners who feel shame for wanting sex too little and Mm -hmm. for wanting sex at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a Mm -hmm. spectrum of even like how we even interact with ourselves with sex. Like I was talking with Becky yesterday in the car about demisexuality, which is that you don't even experience sexual attraction. I went back to the ghost moment. Oh, I yeah. 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 Sexuality. Me more, me more sexuality. Yeah. Kind of conversations um, we're all having. Yeah. <laughs> but like that, that is, I need to look it up, but I'm pretty sure the definition is that you don't even get sexually aroused without deep emotional connection prior mm-hmm. versus like just watching somebody walk past you and you're aroused. Right. And so like being visually stimulated, you're in essence, emotionally stimulated. And that's really interesting. And like, those are really healthy conversations to have with a partner Mm -hmm. because there's no way two people are are coming in with the exact. And then I'm also thinking about the the things that we desire, whether people want to label them fetish or uh, whatever specific to acts of sex, how to communicate that with your partner. Mm -hmm. Like I have a desire to try this with you, Mm -hmm. or I have a fantasy about, you know, doing this with you in this place. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people have, myself included, at times, kind of quieted some of those interests. And if you have like somebody that you're engaged with that you trust, like how do you have those conversations about like, hey, can we try this? And like, what are limits? What's consent inside communicating desire? I mean, I I just have all of those questions. And (laughs) I think all of that is so interesting too. And we need to wrap up because we're fixing to go really long with this episode, but... Don't worry, everybody will get there. I think maybe, we'll come maybe together. this is just another we'll come together. This is foreplay for desire is what's happening right <laughs> no, now. Kidding. Desire for climax. Desire for maybe that's the name yeah. of the episode. Which is like climax will come. Climax will come. <laughs> At some point. That is my favorite thing ever. Wow. Just forget it. I don't want to say it. It's just <laughs> no, so no, I want to hear what you're yeah, gonna say. I think this is all so interesting to have this conversation around that particular word, a word that there is a particular brand of fundamental evangelicalism that has co-opted the word desire or desiring, I won't name them, but to make us believe or to make people believe or feel as though any desire that is not pointed directly at God is wrong. That's bullshit. It is. Yes. Thank you for saying it. That is bullshit. It is. Because, I'm sorry, I'm yelling. You're good. No, I love it. It's harmful. It it is so harmful, you guys. I I mean, I have, okay, I know we've got to wrap up. That just makes my blood boil. Yeah. Because if we go back, Matthew 22 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so I think it's Matthew 22. Please don't ever quote me on oh, these Becky, things. Okay? It doesn't address. matter. Okay, I can't the address. address. The okay. idea is, I understand okay. the idea. It's in Matthew yeah. somewhere. But the truth here is, if I actually desire a relationship with you, Ashley, mm-hmm. and I desire to be with you, and I pause and notice that I myself am made in the image of divine creator, whatever. Mm. And I see that in you. Mm. That is holy. That mm. is like 
sacred ground we're moving towards mm -hmm. in a relationship just to be deeper connected. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the misconception is that somehow we've taken God out over here and God can't be in anything that has physicalness related to it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's mm -hmm. bullshit. Yeah. And I think more important than the concept that God needs us to only desire God. I think that what God yeah. would, would yeah. the desire of God Mm -hmm. is that we be fully who God created us to be with our desire intact. Well, what's funny is with that one another in too. wanting yeah, to honor perfect. and yeah. wanting to honor my own desire and wanting to honor your desires, that is in essence honoring of the divine, which is I think infused in everyone mm -hmm. and in the earth. And so I think that to betray ourselves, the opportunity mm -hmm to tune into our desire or tune into somebody else's desire is actually pulling God out of it. And it's the opposite. Yes. I mean, so that's what's wild. Oh my gosh. I love that because yeah. we are taught in religious culture to deny yeah. our nature. That is the thing we are taught that yeah. our nature is wrong. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 be attuned to your nature. It is a reflection of the things that are good. I gave this example to a girlfriend the other day. I said, you know, let's say the divine is is a lemon and you slice up the lemon, you put a lemon. Oh, here goes Kevin Costner. The <laughs> oh, man. I mean, a peach. Okay. Oof, um, peach. But no, you take a slice of that lemon, and you put it in water and you let it sit there for a really long time. That water is going to taste like lemon water. There's no mm -hmm. way you can remove the lemon essence out of the water. Mm -hmm. It's lemon infused. And there is no way for us to remove the divine from ourselves. We can't. So it's hilarious that we think that we can even control it. Well, we keep it's thinking. Like, we can't we get keep the pee out of the pool. I no, mean. no, you can't. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's, that's a better, that's pretty. That's a better way to say it. Do you know what? I was, you. When I was in Houston, I used to live in well, Baytown, Texas. Yeah. And they put some chemical in the pool to try and control people peeing in the pool, in the public pool. And so if somebody peed, it turned the water purple. <gasps> mm -hmm. I've heard about this. I've always heard that I that thought was, was a rumor. Legend. I yeah. feel like that was too. Or was that just because we're... Did you see it? I think that's the thing they say to kids no. to make them not Becky, pee in the pool. did you see the purple? I saw it. It's oh. real? I saw it. I don't know what it was. It didn't. It was only one year, and it was like... Making it, it was enough. Boy, it was is, enough. I, I have heard that as well. But maybe what they legend. did is they poisoned all of us. Well, you grew up in Houston, so... <laughs> I know. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is, this we, is in Baytown. It's a small town. Not how I anticipated us ending yeah, this episode, okay. but I will say, as we wrap this up, how very excited this makes me to continue in this dialogue. Me too. I feel an energy now that I didn't feel an hour ago. Great. Oh, good. <laughs> then we I should feel, definitely stop now. <laughs> maybe I feel a desire. Oh! Mew! Oh! <laughs> Yeah, Thank you. I'll be here all season. <laughs> <laughs> Having so much desire. <laughs> this episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. Gene Jam and Nerdy 30 were composed and produced by Latifa Alatas, and other music from this episode is from the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now... Here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. 
I was working with this shaman a few weeks ago and he was talking about how we have core wounds and when we have core wounds the instinct is to then start put walls of protection around your heart but when you get really protective not only does it prevent you from putting love out it prevents love from coming in and so he would say over and over again throughout the course of the weekend like the best gift you can give to the world is to heal yourself because when that happens those protective barriers can come down Thank you.